Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B as in boy, I double Z, A double R O. And you can reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or email me at Justin at the Food Entrepreneurs.com if you're interested in being on the show or have any comments. Today, we'll be interviewing Farah Hadar of Seven Sister Scones from Johns Creek, Georgia. How are you doing today, Farah? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm doing much better today. Long weekend, of course, but um, weekends are supposed to be fun until the spring comes and you have to weed your garden and everything. So that's a little <laughs> bit like, oh man. Uh, so yep. tell us a little bit about your journey in in Seven Sister Scones. We sort of talked about it before we got on the podcast, the story behind it, but First, I want to know about you and your entrepreneurial journey to get to where you are today and, and take as long as you want uh, to tell the story. So it's kind of an interesting one. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Um, my father was an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur. Everyone that getting into business is kind of a family thing. Um, I initially took a different path. I was, you know, I got my... Uh, undergrad degree and then I got an MBA although it was an MBA in entrepreneurship I wasn't straying very far um, but I, I was working in corporate America for a long time and I just I, I think it got to the point where I didn't want to follow orders anymore I, I you know I wanted to be able to create my own thing and do my own journey and every time I had success in corporate America it was usually because I was given a project and just really given free reign to do it um, so my first kind of point was I, I left that to do my own marketing agency and I had always been interested in food um, from the name Seven Sisters Scones, yes, there really are seven sisters. There are actually two brothers as well. So we, we come from a large family, and food was always the central point. You know, it was always the the place where you connected and communicated. It was that stop point in the day. Um, so I always associated it with, with a lot of pleasure. Uh, my sister, Hala, who also runs the business with me, she's really the creator. She's the the actual chef. But I had always been interested in food, and I started looking at different cafe concepts. And I kept going back to, you know what, I don't really want to do it alone. Now, in, a, in kind of um, in parallel, I was living in Boston at the time, but my sister, Hala, was living in Atlanta. And in parallel, she started baking these scones. And she started baking them because her husband needed, like, an easy way to have breakfast and just pick up and carry and go. And people would taste them and say, oh. And then, you know, sisters would come and say, oh, can you make me, like, an apple caramel one? And then can you make me this flavor and that flavor? And I looked at her and I'm like, you know what? I'm not a big sweet person. I love some savory scones. And before you knew it, she had 30 flavors. She's giving them away as gifts. She was, you know really just baking them all the time to the point where I came to visit her from Boston and I'd see people walk into her garage. She kept baking scones. I'm like, Holla, we're a family of four. Like we're not going to eat that many scones. <laughs> um, but I'd see people just walk into her garage, open the freezer and take out a bag of scones and leave. And I said, you know what? I think you really have a business here. And, um, 
like the good little sister I am, I got all the other sisters to tell her the same thing. Um, so she said, okay, we're going to go to a farmer's market and I'm going to prove to you that these will not sell. I said, okay. She did her first farmer's market, then her second, her third, and, her first, and suddenly, you know, she's selling these scones. She's like, oh, this, this is really scaling. And we're going to, you know, we were at a, we were, we had a cottage license at the time. So we were in a shared kitchen situation and we quickly outgrew that. So she called me and I was, I was still in Boston. I was under nine feet of snow and she said, Hey, I'm going to open this business. Do you want to move down to sun area under nine feet of snow? Um, so I ended up moving down and we ended up as they say. Well, and I, and I want to, I'm going to read this off for the audience just because normally I didn't actually even think that scones could be savory, but the, the flavors that you guys have. So I'm just going to quick read it. And then obviously I'm going to ask some questions, but I just want the audience to, to know that you can find them on seven sisterscones.com. Uh, it looks like you guys ship anywhere, which is pretty awesome. We do. And we ship nationwide. That's amazing. And so I'm going to ask you more about all of that and, and how you do that in the business side, but I just, I'm blown away by this. So I have to read it. On the sweet scone category, the ones are almond cherry, apple caramel, banana toffee, blackberry cassis, I think that's how you say that, blueberry, cappuccino, carrot cake, which sounds amazing, chocolate chip, cinnamon coffee cake, cinnamon roll, cranberry orange, fig and goat cheese, lemon poppy, mixed berry, mounds, amazing candy bar, pear and brie, raspberry white chocolate, triple chocolate, and vanilla bean, bacon, cheddar, and chive, basil Thai chili, caramelized onion, Asiago, chipotle gouda, Diablo, which is apparently very spicy, garlic herb, jalapeno green olive and cheddar, mushroom and Swiss, spinach feta, which sounds like a Greek one, which sounds awesome also, three cheese. Um, and then they have the seasonal ones, which I'm just like, could you not think of more? But beer and cheese. Uh, I can't say the word. I believe it's Biscoff. Um, yep. Chocolate-covered strawberry, chocolate Kahlua, chocolate mint, eggnog, everything, honey lavender, Irish cream, key lime, mango chili, maple pumpkin, margarita, pecan pie, peppermint mocha, powerberry, raspberry lemon, sweet potato and cardamom, strawberry champagne, and strawberry lemonade. And I'm just, that's single the few people do a few seasonal, few items. So, I mean, your variety is incredible and volume, not also variety. And so it's pretty awesome. So how I, I just, so I'm clear with the audience, how long have you guys been in business? So we, we um, started in farmer's markets in 2014, but we opened our doors to the brick and mortar in 2015. Um, so it's been about four years now. And, I'll, I'll say something about the variety of flavors. That's really a testament to Hala's endless energy. I nicknamed her the energy, but energizer bunny, because she just can't sit still. So, um, you know, that's actually, and I have to tell you something, Justin, that, those are not all the flavors we've ever created. Those are just the one that, you know, there's the possibility of us flavors we've ever created would probably be about 90. That's incredible. I mean, I'm just, I just, I've learned a lot of things like in, and I've been in food and beverage entrepreneurs my whole life, the creativity and food and uniqueness and taking 
stuff that are, are staples in our cultures or, or in our environments and making them so much better and giving them variety and coming up with new creative ways to make them better. And it's just so cool what you guys are doing. I'm really just, I'm actually really blown away. I'm like, this is one of the coolest things I have ever seen. And I'm like, I'm telling Deborah when I first saw the website um, that we need to go there next time we're in Georgia or figure out how to, to get to John's Creek and, and get there. Because I think like I, having the balance, I do do like balance. So if I could have something savory and something sweet, I I will eat everything. I have to try everything. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to try everything on the menu. So this means we every time. And I'm like, no, I have to try everything. And and I, I tend to go big because I'm, people even come up with the ideas for this stuff. It just blows me away. And, you know, scones, I'm like, you know, when we, we first talked about it and you guys coming on the podcast, I'm like, gosh, is there that uh, you can actually build a whole store on scones? But where my mm-hmm. my lack of vision took me was that there the variety actually takes you to there where you need to go and the offering and 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 probably how great they are because those are amazing flavors. So, congrats, you really sparked well, my curiosity. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, one of the ways we've built out some of the shop is we've also, you know, taken a more creative um, point where we've created, you know, how to try a lot of different things. Well, that's why we have mini ones and then we have mini sandwiches and, you know, we can, we've kind of made it the, the base. I love that. And I've also obviously looked at your cafe menu too, because I love food. Um, I just eat whatever. So I mean, it's just so amazing. And I see the one I'm looking at was just updated May 6th. So just recently, uh, 2019. So today. Yeah, we update it daily because our specials change daily. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Oh, look, Hala just walked in the room. Everybody, this is Hala Yassin. She is the person I referenced as the Energizer Bunny before. And she is also a co-owner of Seven Sisters Stones and the, the creator of all these great flavors we've been talking about. So I'm going to leave it a little bit to her because I think she'll be better at explaining them all than I am. Hello, everyone. Hi, Hala. How are you doing today? I'm great. Oh, so you just energized the room, I heard. Uh, I can... I'm always energizing. I can see it here in, on the <laughs> I podcast. That... I can see it on the podcast. You're spiking the soundboard as we speak with all your energy. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I'll tone it down. I'll tone it down. <laughs> so you're the mastermind. I literally just named every single scone that was on your menu because I had to tell the audience. It's not something I normally do. It's just rattle off your whole menu. But so there's huge amount of creativity in this and you sort of like scone, but I want to hear it from your side now. We sort of told um, Farrah's story, but what's your story? How did you get to where you are and being... I'm going to call you the guru of scones. You're like Yoda of scones, basically. You're <laughs> based on the variety there because I never knew there could be so many options for scones. But sort of tell us your story. Well, the thing is, is that I don't know if Eric told you that I started making scones for my husband in terms of um, a quick way to grab something while he was traveling. And I, if anybody knows me, they'll tell you I get bored really easily. So after making it for so many times, I decided, you know what, I'm going to just up the ante and start just, you know, be creative and kind of create different flavors. And so I went from the cranberry to various different ones. And then the sisters got involved and 
before I knew it, this one was asking me for that flavor. This one wanted that flavor. That one wanted that flavor. And it just kind of, you know, from one to five to 10 to 15. And then my friends got involved. And before I knew it, I literally had like about 30 or 40 flavors. And then it's just the whole process of, okay, I'm only willing to make that scone so many times without kind of infusing something new into it, just to keep it exciting and fresh. And so that's how I ended up with that many. Every other week, I kind of start thinking of, you know, what if we were to blend this with that? And like right now, I'm working on a cotton candy scone. That one is the first one that's actually got me because it's so hard to get that flavor in a doughy kind of um, process but I will win. It's just a matter of time. So, you know, I start working on something and before I know it, I'm kind of saying to myself, well, what if like the fig and goat cheese, those are my two favorite flavors. So I said, you know what, I bet you I can make a really great fig and goat cheese scone. And so I started working on it and sure enough, there it is. So that's, uh, I think the creative process for me is really essential because if you've ever worked at a restaurant where you serve the same menu and you do the same thing over and over and over again, you get to a point where it's like, oh, my God, I have to do this again. So, or I get to the point. Some people are just as happy doing that. I'm not. So that's why the food we serve here changes weekly. The scones we serve here. I mean, we have our standard, but we're always introducing new flavors. Um, It's just how I work. I have to keep it interesting. I'm just like, you make it sound so easy. You're like a master genius, so much so that you're a genius of scones that you're just like, oh, it just happened. You know, oh, and the cotton candy, it's got me stumped, but I'll figure out how to get it in there. And I'm just like, I couldn't figure out even how to make a scone. Like I'm sitting here like, and <laughs> and, and why we don't do any much baking in my business, we certainly don't mess with scones on any scale. So I'm just like, okay, you figured out how to make a scone. You figured out how to make them in, in you know, I like the portion sizing. I like how they're round. I like, we talked about how in the cafe you can make them into sandwiches, but there's so many things about them that are so unique. So, I mean, each one's, I was going to say each one probably has a story, but then you're, you're sort of asking the scientists how they created Frankenstein because you're literally taking all these things that are non-traditional and scones, at least from my perspective that I've seen and, and taking them and, and making them into something better. Like the fig and the fig one we were talking about, like that sounds amazing to me. I don't know if anyone does that. I mean, I can imagine their scones in France, but I don't, I've never seen anyone there matching it together. Like you are in the flavor profiles. I don't know. I just kind of, it just, um, honestly, I'll, there is no process. It's not like I could say, well, I sit there and I tweak and I do and blah. I'm usually doing something and then I look at, I don't know, an ingredient and I go, wow, I think if I blend that with that, I would get a great scone. And I try it and we tweak it. And sometimes I do it once or twice and it's right there. Sometimes I have to do it three or four different times because you think those two flavors will blend really well, but then it needs something else to give it that layering of flavor. So uh, it's not like a science per se, because once you have the basics there, it's just a matter of how do you tweak those basics to get a different flavor. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what we do. Well, well, if it made sense to me, I would also be in the scone business and I'd have, (laughs) you know, three brothers and two sister scones. 
So, so what? Now, here comes the hardest question, but maybe it's not that hard. It would be hard for me because they all look amazing. But what's your favorite scone? Uh, both of you guys. Oh, really? That was that easy. Well, no. Well, the thing is, is I made it for me. I mean, I've made so many other scones that I really, really like, but that one in particular is just. I don't know. Whenever I, because it's not very sweet and it's not savory. It's kind of a blend of both. Um, I'm not a very sweet person, so anything that has like uh, a glaze on it will not be my favorite scone. I'll be honest with you. But then you, you ask other people, and if it's not glazed, it's not good. So uh, yes. I don't know. Fair my my favorite one is definitely the beer and cheese. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, too. it's I don't know. There's something about the beer, the because we put beer in it, like real yeah. beer, that just gives it that. I don't know that texture. It, she likes the yeastiness. The of yeastiness, it. yeah. There you that's go. That's what See? she likes. See, that's why she does the <laughs> cooking, and I don't. <laughs> I'm uh, I I'm still staring at the menu, and I'm actually now staring at your cafe menu. So, I mean, how did you guys develop the? how did you marry everything together? I mean, you sort of have your traditional stuff on here, an omelet, but then you have like eggs, any style with a scone or, I mean, and you talk about sandwiches with them and, and, and sides and combos and scone, witch. I love the term scone, witch. um, incredible. Like why not? Like, it's so obvious. I'm like, you guys are genius, but I mean, in the flavors here, I mean, I'm just, I just want to put it out there. It's like, Hot Reuben with a turkey or pastrami or a pesto turkey or brie and caramelized onion, uh, buffalo chicken and chicken and pimento. Uh, cheese, obviously, that's a hot scone, which it's taken me a little while to say that quickly. But I mean, how did you, I mean, and w- what do you marry? Like, for example, okay, you have the Reuben. What scone goes best with the Reuben? Um, actually, a lot of different ones go. My favorite is the jalapeno. Um green olive and cheddar, but we can do it on a garlic herb. We can do it on the bacon. I mean, people eat it in many, many different ways. Um, it, it depends on what we have available that day too. But from my perspective, it tastes good on pretty much anything you put it on. So, um, there, you know, people have their favorites, but for me, I think it would be the jalapeno. Like I love the pesto turkey on the garlic herb. I think it, the blend just comes out really, really nicely. But then I have people that want it on the bacon. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's whatever your taste profile is, you bring it in and we kind of titillate it if you want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we just, we just like to work with flavors so that when you put something in your mouth, it's not just bland or one layer. It's got many, many different. So with every bite, you get something different. Um, I also think there was definitely an evolution that happened. Like when we first opened. Oh, I insisted I wanted to sell scones, scones, and only scones. And then people didn't walk in. (laughs) So I looked at Farah and I said, you know, I think we kind of have to expand a little bit. But I want to stay true to what we are. So if we're going to make sandwiches, they're going to be on the scones. If we're going to make whatever it is we're going to do has to incorporate kind of our DNA into it. Um, And so we started adding different things. And Bear and I have traveled quite a bit, so we kind of capture flavors from abroad. Like when I was in Belgium, one of my favorite things over there outside of the French fries um, was the liege waffle. And so when we started doing our weekend specials, I said, you know what, I'm going to do that because you can't find it anywhere around here. So started making that and, now, if we don't make it, it's a problem. 
um, especially on the weekends. We have people that specifically come just to have the liege waffle. By the way, we had to link to what is a liege waffle when we first announced it. Like, because people were like, how is it different? And then they were ordering it with maple syrup, and we're like, we're not sure you want to do that, <laughs> but we'll give you maple syrup. Um, but the thing yeah. is, is that so we we try to do. I don't want you to come here and be able to get what you can get anywhere else. I want you to be able to get something different. Try something different. Yeah, I have my standard eggs, I, we, you know, the eggs and bacon, the omelets and so forth. But on the weekend, we like to play a little bit. So we'll do different specials. Like la- last weekend, we had a pimento cheese and chicken sausage omelet. I don't think you can find that anywhere around here. But So we like to play with these flavors and kind of put it out there. But that was an evolution of realizing that scones alone are just not going to sell it. So we started adding soups and salads and sandwiches and desserts and bars. And before you knew it, you know, we just started doing food. I don't know. It just kind of it, it just evolved from I only want to do scones to, okay, if I'm going to make this business work, I have to really expand a little. Well, and it's just, it's so true for any business, I feel like. But um, I guess my question first is, how many tables do you guys have? We have, we can seat up to 18 indoors and about 20 outside. We're a small cafe. And so are you only open for breakfast and lunch or are you open for breakfast, lunch and dinner? Just breakfast and lunch and you can pick up your dinner and take it home. We close at five. Okay, so let me back up for a second. Um, tell, can you guys tell the audience where they can find you guys on social media and what the address is of your location, your actual cafe, and what the hours of your business are? Sure. So um, if you're online, sevensisterscones.com is our website. Um, if on Facebook, it's Seven Sisters Scones. On Instagram, it's seven underscore sisters underscore scones. And then on Twitter, it's the number seven sister scones. There's obviously a theme here. Um, <laughs> and then uh, our address is uh, 6955 McGinnis Ferry Road, Suite 107. Because, you know, we had to get the seven in there. In Johns Creek, Georgia. And then um, we are open Monday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Saturday, 7.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we're closed on Sunday because Hala needs to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. That's, a, that's what happens when you're running on the Energizer battery. You need to recharge every once in a while. Oh, no, no. It's, it's called catch your breath and get the paperwork done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is actually very true with any entrepreneur. It's your day off is really paperwork day. Yes. In, okay, so... Do you, um, how many employees do you guys have? Ten. Ten okay. full times. Not full times. Time. Some of them are part time, but ten employees. That. Okay, so I mean, tell me about that a little bit. How do you inspire people? I mean, they're obviously producing the scones also, and it's the two of you there. So, I mean, how do you guys in- inspire your employees? How do you keep them motivated? And what are some of the hardships you have with employees? I mean, because all businesses have them, and it's something all entrepreneurs face the way I inspire people is well what we've tried to create here is really a community of people um, an extended family of sorts so anybody that comes here uh, comes in our doors is working for us 
is really part of our extended family. And if you walk in, you get that sense. Um, when we started, I started out with my best friends who used to help me at farmer's markets and so forth, who wanted to see this succeed. And it's just, you know, it grew from there. And every person that comes in brings their own dynamic, but they come in and fit with within the family context. So I think having a place you go to where you feel cared for, genuinely cared for and loved and nurtured and so forth, and having the you know, somebody there that really cares about teaching you how to do things properly, um, talks to you, is willing to work with you. I think that within itself truly makes a difference. And it, it, it builds goodwill. And so when you give of yourself, I think you get a lot more back than people give credit for. So that's how we kind of um, built this whole concept of employees are not really employees. They're really extended family. Yeah. Don't you agree? Absolutely. 100%. Um, so that's how we, we work. I think one of the biggest hardships for me has been finding qualified people. Um, and it's not qualified people in terms of they've already been trained and know everything. It's people who really want to work, people who look at this field and say, this is exactly what I love. Um, you find a lot of people that just wants to, want to come in and, you know, earn a paycheck, um, and there's no shame in that at all, but it's not who we are. Uh, so that generally does not work very well. I need you to give your heart because everything we make, we make with love. And that's not a joke. I mean, so we're not just saying that and throwing that out as a statement. I care about everything that gets plated and puts out, put out. I get about, I care about everything that's made. And so if you're going to be haphazard about it and you're, you're here just for a paycheck and don't really care about what you do, uh, you're not going to survive in our kitchen. Yeah, you, we definitely, even in the front of house, like we look for people that have initiative, you know, somebody comes in, they have a question or a comment or an issue or a problem. We want someone that's actually going to say, okay, here's what I think we can do for you. Not just, you know, spout out a policy that we have and, and that's it, you know? So definitely finding those people that have initiative, I think has been, been probably a challenge. the hardest yeah. thing. Um, but once we find them, they don't leave generally, yeah. unless they, you know, they get married and have to move to another state or or, or have a baby. That's usually the case yeah. for us um, because we built it that way. Well, and I love the family thing, and I grew up in an Italian family. Um, and Deborah, my significant other and business partner, also co-hosts this show a lot of the time. She grew up in a Greek family, so there's this sense of family that happens. And even, I mean, we're a pretty large business, um, uh, over 300 employees, and we still, well, we have family members that are in it, but we also have people that have been working for my father, like, for 40 years. And so that whole treating your employees as family thing is so important. We actually haven't discussed it on any of the podcasts, which is interesting considering we've launched so many, but really that is so important is that they feel a part of the family and as seven sisters as well, you're two of seven sisters and obviously you have two brothers. I mean, you get that sense of family and working together as a family towards a common goal, which is really what happens with the employees. You're all working together for a common goal that benefits the family, AKA the business and, and everyone succeeds when the business or the family succeeds. And it really tying that together, I think is so awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, if you want to inspire people, they have to feel invested, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we talk a lot. We, you know, we ask for their opinions and we generally value their opinions. We don't always 
implement what they want us to do, but we'll gen- we generally value their opinions. And they feel that gives them a sense of ownership, of investment in, in the company. And honestly, like, I, I, I think that half of the time when we talk about our future and where we want to see it, a lot of it has to do with, like, making sure our employees are okay. A lot of it. And taken care of. I, yeah. I think when they feel that, and they feel that they're being vested in as well. It just changes dynamics in the kitchen. I mean, I, I, I'm here anywhere between 12, no, 12 is an understatement, but I'm here many, many hours. Um, and I, I can't work that many hours with people I don't care about or people that I don't feed off of or they don't feed off of me. And it, it's got to be a relationship where we're all in it together. And that's the mentality. I mean, I remember that from yeah. QVC. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you the hours everybody put in to just be able to um, make 30,000 scones and not a single person complained. We were all laughing throughout the whole thing. I think everybody was crawling into bed at night, what little sleep they had for an entire week. And then when we finished the, the celebration, wasn't just about Farah and I, Oh, we did this. They felt, Oh my God, we're mighty. We are small, but mighty. mighty. That's what we can um, And to have that feeling carry through everything that you do on a daily basis just makes it wonderful coming in. Yeah, and I really think, Justin, it's a conscious choice. Like, one thing I give Paula a tremendous amount of credit for is anybody that comes in, like, we'll have employees that say, you know, eventually I want to open my own place, or eventually I would. And she looks and she's like, that's awesome. Let me teach you what I know. Instead of thinking of it as, like, oh, I don't know, maybe they're going to you know, steal an idea or something like that. Like we've consciously never, never, ever treated it that way. It's, oh, it's more about let us invest in you, let us teach you, and, you know, you're going to stay with us as long as it's good for the both of us, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to move on. But I think that's part of it when someone comes in and sees that and says, oh, these people are invested in my dreams as well. I can invest in theirs. Well, and isn't that exactly what it is? And that's the reason we go to work or the reason we become entrepreneurs. It's to follow a dream. But at the end of the day, the, that we're, we're fulfilling dreams of our employees. We're fulfilling our own dreams. And I mean, that's really the cycle right there. Cut down to the most basic form is that everyone does what they need to because we need money or we, we do things. Or for me, I actually dream of being an entrepreneur. I still dream about it and, and doing better and helping people. So I get to live my dreams every day, but it's sort of one of those things that you're making dreams come true. And it's funny, this actually just came up on another podcast today that I recorded was that we're not actually like, while we're employers, we're, we're actually doing in Disney, the Disney does a great job of this is we're actually dream makers. And when we treat our employees that way, like you just talked about, we're helping you live your lives and what can I do to help you in your life? And if you invest in us, we invest in you. And that whole thing and the perspective really changes. It's, it's just a different way of holding it. It's not an employee or employer boss relationship. It's more like, um, Hey, we're a team relationship, but it's not only the team we're, we're helping, you're helping me fulfill my dreams by working for me and, and pushing my business forward. And I'm helping you live your dreams by making sure you have money to put a roof over your head or put your kids in school or take a vacation or whatever it is. And I think that's so important. I do too. I, I do too. too. 
I hate to do this, but I'm going to leave you with Farah because I have to go back. I just wanted to come and say hello to everybody and introduce myself. I hope you have a great afternoon. Oh, I see how it is. The lab's more important than the podcast. I see the the scientist has got her lab. It's calling her back. It's it's a change of guard right now for me, so I must go see what guards are changing. <laughs> no, and thank you for coming on and, and telling your story. I really enjoyed it, so thank you. Thank you very much. No, I guess Justin, you're you're stuck with the the more boring sister, but yeah. I'll try my best. Well, in actuality, there's the creative side and. There's the there's the actually getting stuff done side and and it's funny and Deborah and I relationship as both being on entrepreneurs I'm often the creative one and the executing one and she's more of the balanced keeping all the ducks in a row one so uh, you need that relationship with someone for sure um, so there's seven of you guys plus two brothers so I mean just out of curiosity what's the age difference between between you two. So between between us two, between us two, there's eleven years. But okay. between the old to the youngest, I am the youngest, um, as I like to remind them all the time. But <laughs> um, there's sixteen years between the oldest and youngest sister. But between Hall and I, there are eleven. Okay. So and then I mean, so you have five other sisters. Obviously, I mean, have they ever been like, oh, I want involved in the business? And how do they feel about you guys being in business? Obviously, naming it Seven Sisters. Mm-hmm. So they were 100% supportive. The, the way the name came up was when we were really, you know, encouraging Hall to get this started, she came and visited us in Boston, uh, visited me in Boston, and a lot of my sisters lived there at the time. So they all came over to my house, and we all just laid it out. We were looking for a name, and we were, you know, doing things like crumbs, like like all these, you know, cutesy names. And then my brother-in-law looks at it, and he's like, why don't you just say Seven Sisters Scones? And the room was dead silent. And we're all like, yeah, that's it. That's it, right? Um, so they're tremendously supportive. Um, I think if we could employ them all, you know, if we could afford it as, an old, as a small business, we would love to. Um, but that's, it's just not feasible right now to have all of us. Yeah, and I, I understand that completely. And actually, I'll tell a little bit of a side story is, I worked with um, well, um, worked with a group, and what they did it was interesting. Two brothers started the first business, and it was actually a sandwich store in New York City. And when they expanded, and they had eleven siblings and their entire family, each sibling then was given a store to run until they had all eleven stores out there. And I just thought it was an interesting concept. I think it was New York. That the first one, I can't remember if they did all of them in New York or they expanded out in New York and in New Jersey, but they sort of did this deli sandwich fried chicken concept and we worked with them on their fried chicken side. But it was really cool, uh, something they did as a family that eventually all the brothers and siblings wanted to be involved in the business and they all succeeded. They didn't have a bad store, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, God, I wish I could remember the name of the company, but it's been a long time. That's fascinating. Although I have to admit that my family is so extremely competitive, I would be a little afraid of pitting them all against each other <laughs> with their store. But um, that would be awesome. I mean, I don't know if that will ever become a reality, just where we are now as a family, where all my different siblings are. But maybe there are children, you know, because there are a lot of children. 
I mean, it'd certainly be a way to expand the business without having to do franchises and within a family that's trustworthy. And I mean, honestly, I wouldn't say it otherwise, but you obviously have a close family and all of you are close and grew up together and grew up in entrepreneurial environments. It's not far-fetched to imagine that the whole family could be more entrepreneurial in that sense. No, I mean, definitely, it's it's definitely a possibility, but... I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Holla would have to give up control of making scones in every location, though. No, what she would actually do is probably do a central location and deliver it to the uh, <laughs> Well, there you go. Yep, commissary model, and I love that. That's awesome. Okay, so tell me about... I mean, you guys talked a little bit about launching the cafe, and you were only going to do scones, and no one showed up, and you went to the cafe menu. So... I mean, what were some of the hardships of opening your own business? I mean, it's kind of a cafe, restaurant, but also a bakery of sorts because the scones. And I mean, did you have to go out and market it? I mean, I'm so curious because starting a business like this isn't easy. Um, you know, there's that's such a deeply layered question. <laughs> um, so I think part of it was we didn't know what we were getting into in some ways. I think if we had known the entirety of it, we would have been a little more, um, a little more hesitant to do it. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Um, I had worked in cafes before. Um, so I kind of knew what the retail aspect of the cafe was. So when we first started, you know, we were kind of coming out of the farmer's markets and we said, oh, it's, we're going to have just a little retail, right? That's why we can get away with just scones, teas, coffee. And um, we're going to do more wholesale and more online. And what we noticed was, you know, the online wholesale wasn't growing as quickly, but the retail, we were getting some traffic, but not enough. So we kind of followed some of the retail money and then expanded the retail business. Um I, my background is in marketing. That's always been my responsibility. So from day one, you know, we had a website and we were selling online before we even had a brick and mortar store. So, you know, did we do marketing? Absolutely. We relied heavily on word of mouth marketing and on, you know, we didn't do a whole lot of advertising stuff. No expensive modes of marketing. Most of it just what we could you know, do with little to no budget. Um, And that's really what we did, honestly. A lot of email, social media, you know, when Facebook still had reach, um, that kind of stuff. And I think it's, and yeah, that is exactly what happened, is over the last, I would say, three years, maybe even less, that the reach of social media has changed so much. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in my own perspective with the podcast, like four years ago when I was doing a different business uh, related to sports and food and sports teams, like I, we could launch something and we could get 30,000 followers in, in a couple of weeks just by promoting it in normal ways and other people and all that. Now to get 30,000 followers, you have to advertise and, and get other people to share and it becomes this expensive endeavor. And it's weird with the podcast, what's happened is I have very low social media followers, uh, Deborah and I, but the podcast has taken a life of its own, which I was like a little bit shocked about, but it's the same sense as, you know, there was an opportunity there for businesses like yours to take advantage of that free marketing and advertising. 
which I think is still important for um, businesses to do is to use social media. It's just a way tougher than it used to be, you know? So, um, I mean, it, I think, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I think it's tough in a, in a multitude of ways. You need more, um, you need more content. It needs to be higher quality content. And it's also, you know, you're just not getting the same amount of reach, you know, four years ago, four or five years ago, you put something on Facebook, it reached most of your followers, got to see it, right? And then they shared, et cetera, and, that, and that's nice. Um, now, you know, even if you have thousands of followers, Facebook is only showing it to maybe 20% of your followers. That's if you're lucky, you know? Um, so that's that's the, the really tough part of it. Um, thankfully, we also, you know, relied heavily on building email lists so that, we always own that email list. No one can take yeah. that away from us. Um, but still, social media, it, it still is essential, I think. You still have to be on it. You still have to be contributing to it. But it's just not as effective as it used to be. Yeah, and actually, I would love to talk about that for a second, what you just said, because it is so insightful, and it's something we haven't talked about on this podcast. But I think it was about... I don't know, beginning of 2019 around that there was a glitch in Instagram and all these people lost all their followers and screen names and something happened. And so they had to start all over and it was devastating to some of these businesses and these people that did these social media things and stuff like that. And one of the interesting things is, um, and I can't remember if it was Instagram or Twitter or something, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. But all of that content is owned by Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And that's, I'm not saying you shouldn't use those things, but it still comes down to the basics of owning email addresses, basically having your own collection, having your own way of directly connecting to people over email is way more successful. And I know as a person that markets and does well and knows how to push the podcast out there and target things and, and target my own businesses and stuff like that, that right now social media maybe reaches 10% of the people that you intended to, to get to and actually only about 10% respond in any way by liking a page or switching over or clicking on a link or buying something. It's pretty low. But in email, and this yes. isn't a huge increase in number, but it's 20% or more. I mean, your bottom level is 20% or more. And that's and it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's more than double of social media at the very least. Yep. And so it's one of those yeah. things where owning your email lists are so important. And I say it to people all the time. They're like, oh, why do we get business cards? And why don't we just find them on social media? And let's throw away our business cards. And I'm like, okay, but you still need to own the contact list with the customers and the people you're dealing with in your possible sales. Don't rely on communicating on them with direct message because there's this whole wave of why we do this. And let's just do it through direct message. And and things like that. And it's funny because when I do, and I'll just tell on myself, recruit people for the podcast, I don't, I recruit them through social media and through recommendations. And now I'm at a point where a lot of people come to me, both through social media and through email. But I make sure that every list as I, as the people that are on the podcast, um, the ones that are actually connecting and having a conversation that I save their email address with the information because 
I have that for the future. I don't know what I would use it for, but if I ever wanted to send out a bulletin or ask people to come back on or, or do a food entrepreneur event or something, I'd want that list for people to be there so they can connect with each other. But it's more valuable than them being my friends on Instagram or followers on Instagram uh, or to the Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs page. Why I love everyone for following. Thank you, everyone in the audience. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate your love. But it's one of those things where the value is actually in the email addresses. I'm 100% with you. And I always tell people this. I said, if let's say Facebook went bankrupt tomorrow. Not that that's likely. But let's say Facebook went bankrupt tomorrow and went offline. Took all your customers with them. What can you do? And the answer is nothing. You have absolutely no... No way of reaching your customers, right? So, um, you know, when people always talk to me about social media, I said on social media, you should be thinking about two things, engagement and migrating them to email. Social media should be the output post that eventually leads to being on an email list. So every time you're, you're posting on social media, you should A, be thinking about engagement. So give them something to do. Don't just say, hey, we have a breakfast special this weekend. Say, um, you know, tag the friends you want to eat this with this weekend. Yeah. Right? Because it encourages them. I mean, people will do what you tell them to do, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's pretty uh, true. They will. Yeah. So if you tell them to tag a friend, a lot of people will tag a friend versus just scrolling by and say, oh, that's nice. They have a nice breakfast special this weekend. Right? The second thing you should always be talking about is, hey, you know, sign up for our email list and get, get X. You know, always have a way to capture emails on your website, et cetera. I'm going to give you a story that I um, actually spoke to someone. I was at a a food festival, and I spoke to someone, and this person had distribution in Target and Whole Foods, right? So I was like, wow, you're on top of the world, right? And she's like, well, Amazon just bought Whole Foods, and they bumped us. And Target decided to downgrade our shelving, and um, I don't even have a website. And I was just floored. I was floored. I'm like, you don't have – she's like, no, we don't have a website, and we we have no way of reaching our customers. And I – and literally, it it was putting the company in peril. And I was just – you know, I, at this point, you really need to emphasize that. Like, I can totally see how that happened. Somebody got two great distribution sales, and they said, we have it made in the shade. But you really, um, it, it's so easy to outsource that. Your contact with your customer should never be outsourced. should always, always, always have a way of reaching them. And I actually, I agree with that 100%. And I, I think Amazon's a great model for selling products or going to big box stores. But this is what I tell people, really. If someone comes to me for advice and they're asking me about it, I say, well, do you have the ability to do two brands or at least two different product lines? And they're like, why? Why is that the question? Because because if you want customers, you need to have an online presence directly with your consumers with your best products that you're putting out there. And if it's about, and, and you want to be in box stores, you can't, like Amazon owns your customers, Walmart owns your customers, the grocery stores own your customers. They all own your customers. And you may think that your greatest asset is the product you produce, but it's actually the customers that you own. And people are like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, 
you're only as good as the things you can sell. And immediately they own the customer. So the minute they pull it off the shelf, their customers are buying something else. They're not following. They have no loyalty to your product. They're owned by the grocery store. They own the customer. And it's like, okay, I go to the grocery store. If all of a sudden blueberry jam XYZ wasn't there, I just either not get blueberry jam anymore or get a different blueberry jam. I'm not going out of my way. But if I establish a relationship like, for example, Deborah and I work out a lot. So we have CrossFit equipment. So we always go to Rogue. So I will always go online to Rogue to buy my t-shirts and buy my equipment. Why? Because they have a direct relationship with me and they own me. They do great product. I like their product. They do great marketing. But everywhere they go, they collect my information. They send me emails almost daily. They make sure they're also pinging me on social media so I know they're there. I mean, they've collected all my information so they own me through various avenues. And when a new shirt comes out because they know I like shirts, they're putting that in front of me. Um, because if you're going to go into stores, I always say, I actually encourage people to create a different brand. Like if I'm going to go into, to Walmart, I have, I'll create Justin's, you know, tofu tablets, right? But if I'm going to the public market, it's Deborah's tofu tablets, which are, are maybe a similar product, but they're two different branding. That way I have, I own my customers through all of that. And I don't have them through somewhere else because I don't know. I, I've seen what you're saying too much. People grow these businesses and they become massive and then it's one decision and you're off the shelf and by goes your business. I mean, like that, like literally blink of an eye gone. And so yeah. it may not be the yeah. best solution, but it sort of starts the conversation and most people end up saying, okay, I don't want them to own my customer. I need to figure out how to do this on my own, which is... Well, here's, I'll give you a different perspective. If you can't manage two brands, which... I think as a small business would be tough to do. Um, and also because it's so hard to build the, the social proof these days and the online credibility. If you cannot do that, think of your distribution outlets differently. And this is what I mean by that, which is they are just a sampling, right? Let's say I have 12 flavors of scones. I'm not going to allow those 12 flavors into into. A, a distribution channel, like let's say a Sprout or something like that. I'll allow six of them. And then in that, in my packaging, in my et cetera, oh, you like these flavors? Look at all the flavors you, you can get when you come direct. And then allow them to come and buy more flavors. Always reserve something that only you can get, like isn't available on other distribution channels. Yeah, exactly. And that way it gives... Yeah, it gives an incentive for the customer to come to you direct. And let's be honest, how, mu how much more valuable is a direct customer than, a, than one that purchases you through distribution? No, and I much love... Much more valuable, right? Yeah, way more. And I love that, what you're saying, because... And I know you guys mentioned being on QVC, but it's something like the Home Shopping Network and QVC do a great job of. Like, QVC has their own customers or their own base. But when I go to QVC and I put a product on there for one of the companies we co-package for, it has to be a unique product, flavor or whatever to QVC. And so whatever they're selling to their customers, it's not the same. It's a different product. So they're introducing a new product. They're also driving the existing customers from that business to QVC, but they're also taking QVC people and saying, hey, you can't get this anywhere else, even from that company. You can only get it from us, and you're still building your brand. So I do, I think 
exactly what you're saying is so key. And QVC has another really good, since you brought them up, and we've had an experience with them, several experiences. Um, I think one of the things that they do brilliantly, so one of the things we thought would happen was, oh, we're going to get on QVC and people are going to taste our stuff and then we're going to acquire all these new customers. And what we found was that QVC customers are loyal to QVC. Absolutely. 100%. And the way they do it is because they provide superior service, right? They, you, you call QVC, they have caller ID, they pick up, they go, hello, Farah. They don't even ask your name. They know your name. They know everything you've bought in the last 15 years. You know, they know everything about you the minute you call in on that phone. And they just say, oh, yes, you didn't like that? Here you go. You know, money's back. Don't worry about it. Why don't you try this? Oh, we'll get that to you. You don't need to give me your shipping address. I have that on file. And they win them over by service. And I actually think that's something that we as small businesses can do really well, which is provide superior service. And that's how we get customers to be loyal to us and bring them back. You know, it's story and service. I always say it's the SNS. Story and service. Do you have a great story that people can relate to? And do you service them well? And that's how you win them. No, and I agree. And actually, what you're saying is so true. And it's the Ritz-Carlton hotels and it's a big business studies done about it over and over again. It's something that I love that they do. Um, and I travel a lot. So they're part of Marriott now, fortunately, but they literally know what kind of drink I like, what kind of drink Deborah likes, what kind of food we like. If we go to the bar, you know, what kind of food we like, if we go to the restaurant, what we like in our rooms, what pillows, they never have to ask us a question ever. They collect the data and then they execute on the data through their whole teams. And it's exactly what QVC does too, is they actually are master data collectors. And not only they master data collectors, they're master data translators into how to give a customer an experience. And it's like you said, we can get this from any customer that walks in the door. Why we don't capture all their information, their phone number, their their email, you know, in, in order to do things in newsletters and all that, it's beyond me. And if and you will increase business through this and you will have more people loyal to you. And, you know, it helps send out reminders and it helps build relationships with them when you know what they want. I mean, you know, one of the coolest things, and I wish Starbucks was like this across the board, they would actually remember the person's drink, no matter who they are, when they walk up to the register somehow and say their name. But when I was in New York City, living in New York City, there was a Dunkin' Donuts down the street. And every time I walked in, the person that worked there knew what I wanted, saw me in line. They already knew to ring me up. They knew exactly what I wanted and they kept going. I would throw them off every once in a while by saying, oh, I want to try something else today or there's a special today. But they already knew basically what I was doing. And they even said, oh, Mr. Bazaar, you want you know a black coffee and you know a a Boston cream donut and a croissant sandwich with sausage. Yep. Okay. Bam. You know, they already had it rung up. Uh, they were ringing it up as I walked up to the counter. I said, yes, if I happened to change my mind, which I rarely did, even though I like variety, um, they could quickly change it. But just the fact that they knew that kept me going to Dunkin' Donuts and not Starbucks across the street. And it kept me loyal to Don Dunkin' Donuts every day before I'd get on the subway. And so... Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, relationships are so important in any business. And we talked about family and employees 
earlier on this podcast, but it's the same with your customers. You need to have a relationship with them beyond just giving them food or, or beverage or whatever. You need to engage them and you need to get to know them. And, and, and it's more than just a happy birthday email. You know, it's like, okay, we need to engage in these people and figure it out and get to know them. And it's hard when it's over the email or it's over an e-commerce business, but we can still figure out ways. Like, you know, I work with this company and, uh, every time they, this person, someone would buy 10 order 10 times, a manager would pick up the phone and call them on the phone and just say, thank you for picking it up. I just wanted to say, thank you. Here's my name in case you ever need anything. I'm the manager, you know, and I see you have your daughter's birthday coming up. Is there any way we can help you with that? And since you've done, you know, 10 things with us, I'd love to be a part of it. If there's something that she'd like, I will give you 20% off your next order, but here's my personal name and my email and whatever. And I also have a daughter your age and, and they engage in this conversation. That's so cool. And they, the business boomed. I mean, they, they just boomed in their business. And because of that, they had this rule that the managers and the salespeople would really get to know the people they work with and invest in their lives and, and let the people that were the customers invest back in their lives, which I thought was awesome. Just as a side note, but... Um, yeah, I think what you bring up is really important because one of the things that we try to do is empower our employees. And I actually got this idea from something I read about the Four Seasons, which, you know, we brought up hotels. But the Four Seasons Hotels gives each of their employees in any hotel $500 a day for guest happiness. And if they're not using it, they're penalized to not use it. Think about that. Anything under that $500 limit, any employee, whether it's the bellboy or, you know, the cleaning lady can spend on that customer to make sure they're happy. And what that does is it empowers employees who are your front line, right? They're the ones interacting with the customers all the time to really do what it takes. One of the things we do here is we talk to every customer. You know, we're, we're kind of a novel concept, so that grew from that where we had to explain a lot, so we had to talk to our customers a lot. But we have some customers that will call us and say, I know you guys are expecting me to come in because they come in every Thursday at 10 a.m. I know you're expecting me to come in. I have a doctor's appointment. I'm just going to be a little late because we will call someone if they haven't come in for a while. You know, and I know that for my employees, you know what? I haven't seen, uh, you know, I won't use their real names, but Jane and John for, for a long time, he wasn't feeling too well. I'm going to call them up. Do you have their, because we have a loyalty program, do we have a way to send them a message? And we'll send them a message. Hey, we haven't checked in on you. You know, we haven't seen you in a while. No pressure. We just want to make sure that, you know, John was feeling well. And people are astounded that we do this. But the truth is, it's the only way to create customer loyalty. It's the only advantage I have, um, really, as a small business, is we're local and we know, you know, our customers very well. And so I, this brings me to my next topic. So you guys do online ordering and you ship, I, is it anywhere in the United States? And and mm-hmm. I, I assume that's about the limit. Can you ship outside the United States? No, we do not. Just because at that point, the shipping becomes astronomical. And then if it gets stuck in customs, I mean, it's a perishable product. <laughs> I can't imagine that would be a bad thing. So tell yes. me how you manage that side of the business because it's a little bit different than face-to-face interaction. And, I mean, is that side of the business growing? And, and I mean, how does that 
I mean, how are you manage that? Is it something new or something you guys have always done? We, uh, we, we had a website before we had a brick and mortar store. Um, and then we got caught up a little bit in the brick and mortar and we're paying a much, that much attention to online sales. And we, then we, we looked at our numbers that we have to pay more attention to online sales. And, and here's my take on it. You know, what, what we're seeing right now is although people are more interested in convenience and they're more interested in eating out, like we're seeing those trends go up, retail traffic is dropping, right? People want it delivered to them. So Uber Eats is taking off, Grubhub is taking off, those things. So what are we going to do? We have a, a, a fixed amount of cost every day, you know, to turn on the lights, pay rent, bring people in. And whether someone walks in through that door or not, we're paying that whether they do or don't. So your best option is to expand your number of distribution outlets, right? To me, online sales is just another distribution outlet. It's a way to utilize employees that might be sitting idle because Okay, you know, I don't know, people are on vacation this week and they're, they're not coming into the store. Um, so we've really committed to it. Uh, it is, you're right, a little bit different than the cafe, and it's hard to manage both those things under um, the same brand. And who knows, we might uh, actually, we're seriously considering putting the cafe under Seven Sisters Kitchen, home of the modern scone, and um, keeping the cafe that way. And then on the um, and then on the website, you know, keeping it at sevensisterscones.com, which is a national, you know, mailer of scones. Um, because you're right, the message is different. And so far, we've combined them and we've slowly grown it. And you know, we have people that walk into the store and say, "Oh, I want to send these to my brother," you know, who's out in Wisconsin, or "Oh, I'm going to do that," you know, but. I think eventually we're going to have to separate those two brands. Yeah, it just becomes one of those things where um, because of the different outlets and the way it is and the, the way the service is done, customer in person versus online or, or shipping, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, and I don't think people realize that it's not as easy to manage them together as it is as it is to manage them apart, for sure. No. No, and I'm, I do all the shipping, so I literally, every shipment that leaves, I have looked at, you know, sometimes when an order comes in, like, I'll email people saying, hey, you know, I see this is a Mother's Day order, um, but it's, we have it scheduled to ship now on Monday, do you want me to push that out for you a little bit so it's closer to Mother's Day, um, or, you know, I'll, I'll talk to all of our, you know, I'll send messages to them, and sometimes... Um, if I see a customer that's been ordering a lot, you know, I'll throw a couple of extra things in there with a little note saying, you know, thank you for your loyalty. We really love it. Um, you know, here's just a couple of treats from the store. Um, I'm not a big fan of discounting just because I think our margins are so slim as it is. And with Amazon promising everyone free shipping, shipping has kind of become our burden as well. So one of the things I always do is I upsell. So I say, oh, okay, you know, um, thank you for your order. Use this discount code bonus, and we'll put in something you can't get online. Um, you know, you can't buy online. And people will put the bonus code, and then I'll, I'll send them a little bonus treat inside their next order. Um, we try to create that kind of sense of you're getting something you can't get anywhere else, an exclusivity of it. Uh, yeah. So we do all these kind of things to 
show appreciation for our customers. Yeah, and I want to uh, stop like, you right there for one second because I love what you're doing. And I think it's so funny that you say this because I actually, one of the things I always tell people is don't discount your product. Offer something more or something that makes them feel special or only they're getting it because they're buying it from you. And you're doing exactly that. It's not about discounting your price because the only person you're hurting is yourself. I mean, people are going to spend the money one way or another if they like your product. But if you offer them a little something more, which, you know, doesn't, does cost you something, but it doesn't cost you as much as setting a standard of discounting. The standard of discounting is a hard thing because then people expect a discount and then people don't order from you until they see a discount again. And that makes yeah. things hard. And then they, when they are paying full price, like, why am I paying full price for this product? I just paid for it discounted. And this mindset in the human mind is so destructive. So I love what you're doing there. I mean, I'm a simple person. If someone throws in an extra sticker that I can put on my refrigerator in my garage gym, I'm like, sweet. I got a freaking free sticker. But it's just, you know, some things like that, that, that exactly what you're saying. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I really wanted to focus on it because it's such a valuable marketing and pricing point as an entrepreneur that when you discount, you set an expectation. Yeah, yeah, definitely do. And I just, I always tell people, you know, think of the last time you were in Macy's. Did you buy anything that wasn't on sale? (laughs) I mean, you never do, right? You, you never do because you know eventually they're going to put it on sale. Um, and, I, you know, JCPenney is the same way. I like these major brands. And I, I understand the temptation to do it. And you know what? I've done it. But I, I have always made sure it's completely focused. And to be really brutally honest, I usually only discount products that I built the margin in to discount. Anyways. Because I never want them to feel that I got something that I'm usually selling for 40 to $50 at 30 or 20 because then that because that becomes the value they associate to it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So I always feel like they, there's always a price point we won't go under, no matter what. Um, and sometimes when people ask us, they say, you know, I've, I've had a customer say to me, well, I can go to Panera and get, you know, X amount of mini scones for this much. And I say, you know, you're absolutely right. You can. Um, ours, you know, th- this is a difference in ingredients, et cetera. But you have to do what's right for you and just accept that not everybody is your customer, right? Not everybody's going to be willing to pay that. Not everybody values what you're selling. Absolutely. And that's okay. No, it is okay. And I think the more we embrace that and we, and just to your point, if you waste time on a customer that's and trying to sell a customer, that's not willing to buy your product, you're actually losing the time you could spend with a customer that's already buying your product, getting them to buy more by having a relationship with them. So, and I mean, it's no difference than in our lives, right? We need to invest in the relationships that invest in us. And it's the same when trying to get a customer or turning over and what you just said, if they're already know that it's likely at Panera, you can you can say absolutely this is what we have and if they don't bite on that first bite they're probably not going to bite you know in my experience it takes a lot for someone to switch over once they're hooked on a price point and so the ones that generally don't care about the price and like your products they're the people that if you build a relationship they will buy from you one more when they buy and two they'll buy from you more often 
And it's just, yeah. it's that relationship. You need to have that relationship and it's where you want to spend your time. And it's why they say it's a lot cheaper to keep a current customer than it is to obtain a new one. And so, yep. I mean, that's pretty and much it I right there. To, I have to, you have to treat your great customers really well. Like you're better off treating a good customer well than trying to convert a reluctant customer. And, you know, one of the things we're um, in the midst of establishing, we're just working out the details right now is what we call um, our, we're going to call them the, the extended family, but it's basically our elite customer program, which we're, we have our loyalty program. We're going to look at maybe the top 20 people that are on that program. And we're going to say, okay, you're an elite customer. You're going to be invited to taste our new scone flavors first. You're going to be invited to do some tasting menus different events um, that we're going to plan for you. You know, occasionally we'll give out a discount because you're an elite customer. But the caveat for joining this illustrious club is that you share it with your friends, whether that's through Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. That's the deal we'll make, right? Um, and I, I've talked to a couple of our like top customers that I just know because they're here all the time, um, and they love it. Everybody wants to be part of something. It's, it's generally a basic human need is to belong, right? Absolutely. You want to belong to something. And a lot of people tell me, well, you know, and, and I struggle with this sometimes. I go, oh, what well, I'm just scones. I mean, who wants to belong to a scone shop? But that's not really what they're belonging to. They're belonging to the story that Hala and I are making they're belonging to the employees that we're helping they're belonging to again that dream maker mentality and when you approach it that way customers are very willing to extend their resources their time their reputations tell their friends etc for a brand they believe in you know and that's just that's how simple it is no and it is it is exactly that and the the sense of belonging loyalty clubs and everything that they've done as kind of the tip of the iceberg of all that and you know the benefits that people get it, it makes them learn like oh i belong to this club so does this person and we gain these benefits and and i belong to this group and whatever and i certainly do it i do it with my marriott rewards i do it with united airlines like and i somewhat be kind of point guru but there is this loyalty that i will be willing to spend a little bit more to go there if i have to because i am part of their loyalty programs and because I have a sense of belonging and because they take care of me as a customer, they know who I am. They, you know, out of nine out of 10 flights, they're Mr. Bizarra. How are you? And, you know, here's your, you know, I have enough stats where no matter where I sit, I get a free box lunch or, or box dinner or whatever it is. And, and so does Deborah. And so they always take care of us. And I'm married. Oh, thank you for being a Marriott elite rewards member. And, and we've upgraded your room for, for being so loyal to us for 15 years and, or 17 years now, whatever it is. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it goes so far. Like it yeah. just, it goes so far with me as a person. And, and I've only had one problem you know, with, with Marriott in all my years and I, I'm going to do a plug, but, and I was, and I mean, it really upset me the problem that I have. I mean, it was just, it was a big, big deal. And, and I, and I wasn't getting, you know, what, whatever. And, and at first I couldn't get them to deal with it. And then I actually called someone like in my 
rank area and who could deal with me. And the way not only they fixed it for me and dealt with it, but then they took care of me beyond that by giving me extra mileage, like lots of extra or points because it's Marriott so many extra points to make up for the inconvenience in the way that I had been treated to keep my loyalty. I mean, it kind of blew me away. And then not only that, the person called me two days later to make sure I was still okay. Yep. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, like you're a huge company traded on the stock market. What? I mean, and maybe I'm a great customer, but you're right. The l- most loyal customers are the most important. And when I'm packing in over a hundred nights a year, I'm probably an important customer. Yeah, of course you are. And you know, I always like to try and surprise what I call surprise and delight people. Right. So if I have a customer that I see all the time and they brought their spouse or their, um, you know, or a couple of friends in for the first time and we're doing something, let's say creative in the back, we'll bring out a little tasting plate and say, you know what? And we'll, we'll go to their table and say, we're so sorry to interrupt. You know, let's say Jane here is such a loyal customer. We value her opinion. We hope that you can all share in this plate we're bringing out because she's so great to us. Think about how that makes Jane feel. Jane feels like, oh man, man, I am the person, I'm the person that can cut in the front of the line at this place, right? I mean, that's why clubs have VIP lines and stuff like that. Um, it's to it's to feel this a sense of belonging and I'm special and these people really treat me right. And we do that a lot. We'll, you know, bring out something to taste or if we see somebody that has a special day, you know, when we, when someone comes in and they're celebrating a birthday, we'll take one of our scones and we'll toast it up in the oven a little bit. So let's say our vanilla bean scones, the glaze gets a little sticky and then we'll put sprinkles on it and bring it out with a birthday candle. And we do that kind of stuff because they, we need to surprise and delight them constantly. Um, Cause if we go the extra mile, they'll go the extra mile for us. And I, I actually love that so much. And actually those people, like are the ones that word of mouth becomes such an, a cool part of the marketing that happens. And cause these people are so blown away by what you're doing. They tell people and, and it may not be an instant buy or, or visiting of your shop, but it's people are now talking, Oh my God, I, you know, and it may, they may not even really be promoting They're like, Oh my God, I went and I got this going and they knew it was my birthday or they knew it was my significant other. And they surprised me and they blew me away. And it's really cool what you're doing. It's amazing. I mean, we try, Justin, that we just, we try to bring out, I think one of the real benefits we have is because Hala manages, you know, all the cooking, et cetera, it frees me up a lot to be able to do some of this finer marketing stuff. Um, and I, I feel when, when I talk to other restaurant entrepreneurs, they say, oh, we don't have the time to do that, or I don't have the time to look at those numbers, or I'm drowning, you know, I 100% feel with them. Um, and I think the only way you can get around it is to, to really, you know, pick a number two and really invest in them so that they can take some time off your plate so that you can do, you know, the 50,000 foot, you know, level stuff, the big, big strategic thinking and, and how to implement it, because that's what's going to make the, you know, the difference. You sitting there and making the same meal over and over and over again every day, it, that's not going to push the business forward. 
Uh, yeah, and it's so true. I think that if you're so close to the business, I mean, we did a podcast on this about Abe Lincoln and chopping down a tree. It's like if I've given, I don't know what he said, six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. And it's so yeah. true because... One, if you're so close to the tree, you can't actually see the whole tree. If you run up and start chopping away, you don't look at the tree and you don't see all the potential of the tree. But the other part is, is I need to know strategically how I'm going to go at this and make sure that I have the right tools to do it and all of that. And as business owners and entrepreneurs, it's so important that we know what tools we have to get into the business and actually, like you said, be strategic about our thinking and actually take the time to do it because it does matter. I mean, you can't, in this world anymore, you can't live off of how good your product is only anymore. It could be the best product ever. And if you don't couple with good marketing, customer service skills, treating your employees well, et cetera, you don't have a business. It just doesn't work that way. We, you can't live off of your, you know, it's like you can't live off of your good looks alone if you're a good looking person. It's the same thing. You can't live off of your good food alone or your good beverage alone. It just can't, it doesn't work that way. And, well, because there's so much variety, right? Yeah. There's so much variety. You're never, never, never the only shop in town anymore. And what makes the difference is those things. Well, Farah, I, I can't thank you for enough for being on the episode. And I'd really actually love to have you guys back on in about eight to 10 months and record another episode to continue to tell your journey and how you guys are growing the business and some of your specific successes and failures related to the business because we didn't even cover those. But, and even some of the success and failures of some of the marketing things that you guys are trying, I think it's so cool. Um, but I wanted to say thank you very much for being on the podcast. Um, thank you for having us, Justin, and we'd love to be back. Right, and, I, and it was so cool having an actual entrepreneur major on the podcast. That's the first. But you got, you have such a wealth of knowledge. I don't even think you know it. Seriously, you you have such a wealth of knowledge and things that you're doing in, in all the right directions. And it's such a breath of refreshing air to me. Um, well, one, doing this podcast and talking to entrepreneurs. But when I talk to someone like you who who's part of the strategic thinking like I am, just that there's someone else out there like really thinking about this and passing it on to the world and, and telling about it and, and showing employees about it and showing family members about it. I just think it's so cool. Like it really, it makes my day. So thank you very much for sharing all of that. It was really cool. And, and I'm going to be thinking about it all night cause this stuff just, I'm like a sponge. So <laughs> thank you very thank much again. Anytime you want to talk, I'm, I'm happy to have someone to bounce ideas off of. All right. I'll take you up on that for sure. Um, right. And anyone who's listening on the podcast, please share the podcast. Please tell your friends and family. Um, you know, everyone's coming on here. They're sharing their story for free, and we're doing this for free. So why not share it? It's We're doing it out of the goodness of our hearts because we want to better entrepreneurs, and we want to help entrepreneurs better themselves and better their businesses. Uh, if you want to be on the show, you can reach out to me, Justin, at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. And you can also reach out to me on social media at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs on Instagram and um, Facebook. But I promise you, I will be collecting your email address as we talked about in this podcast. So just as an end note, you reach out to me. I'm keeping your email address. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening in and uh, have a great day. Bye.